Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Brief, a straightforward, short and sharp snapshot of a big policy challenge. The Brief is going to replace Policy Forum Pod Extras and will be coming out every two weeks. This week, we're going to dig into energy and climate policy. In Australia, the federal government is currently seeking commitment from states and territories for their proposed energy policy mechanism, the NEG. So what is the NEG? It stands for the National Energy Guarantee, and it takes a combined approach to energy and climate. The NEG has two main objectives – a reliability guarantee, and an emissions guarantee. The reliability guarantee requires electricity retailers to contract sufficient reliable energy supplies to meet demand. This part of the NEG is concerned with ensuring stable and affordable energy. The emissions guarantee, on the other hand, requires electricity retailers to meet their share of a national emissions reduction target of 26% by 2030. This target is unambitious by international standards, and it barely meets Australia's emission reduction commitment, which was set out by the Paris Agreement. The two major parties have been locked in an energy and climate cold war for years, and diverging interests between states and territories certainly haven't helped. Securing bipartisan federal and state support for this energy policy is basically a political nightmare. As deadlock continues over the proposed NEG, Australia's approach to energy and emissions is looking as unpredictable as the country's electricity grid. Australia needs to move forward, and refusal to compromise on all sides is creating a black hole in the place of energy and emissions policy. To shed some light on the politics and policy of the NEG, we have James Prest. James is a senior lecturer at the ANU College of Law and is also a member of the Energy Change Institute. Thank you for joining us today, James. Uh, thanks, Edwina. So if the NEG does go ahead, it will end years of inaction on national energy and climate policy in Australia. Should we see this as progress? Well, I think it's important to view this latest policy initiative in a broader context. Um, so first of all, we need to look at the context of what's happened in the last 10 years in terms of the federal policy and legislation. And we also need to look in context of the state government and territory government action on climate change and energy, and then the broader Asian context. To go to this guarantee and just see it in isolation, um, you know, it's a little hard to understand what's going on. But really, what the first thing that we need to understand is that it, it is a what I've described in a recent article um, as a stealthy way of actually abolishing the renewable energy target because that's what it's going to do. It's going to replace Australia's renewable energy target. And that's the first thing to understand about this national energy guarantee. 
One of the other things that's a bit weird about this policy is the way that it combines energy and emissions policy. And that's the first time that's been done in Australia. But is it a good idea to be addressing both issues with the same mechanism? Now, obviously, we have to do this, okay? Because A, you know, climate change is clearly a problem. It's, you know, if you look at the evidence here, we have a major climate change crisis occurring around the world. Um, We have to take political action both in Australia and collectively through our international mechanisms and through international cooperation in Asia as well. But secondly, um, if we, and we, we do have this occurring already around the world, there's Um, approximately 300 billion US of investment going to renewable energy at the moment annually. So it's a massive kind of wave of investment that's occurring. And the real question for Australia is, do we want to join in on this? Okay. Um, So there's a great big power system transformation occurring right now, a modernization of the grid, modernization of power generation that's occurring at the moment. And one of the questions is, Okay, so to what extent and how we deal with the challenge of from new generation sources plus storage, how do we get these things to come together to um, to manage a different type of power system where we have, um, you know, a lot more ability to intelligently control the network, to intelligently control generation and demand. And, you know, this is a kind of new era and some of our politicians and maybe back in the old era, where they're thinking about what they call base load generation. So there's this narrative being created about renewables as an unreliable source. And in actual fact, a lot of Australia's energy does rely on non-renewable fossil fuels. I think coal and gas account for about 85% of electricity generation. So environmentalists are pushing for the switch to renewables, presumably, And the vast majority of players in the energy market are almost completely reliant upon fossil fuels. So is it fair to say that the NEG prioritises the interests of industry over the environment? Well, again, I'd say that's a little bit of an oversimplification, right? Because, you know, already there's a massive investment wave going on at the moment before the the current uh, legislation really effectively the door closes in the year 2020. At the end of 2020, the door is going to close for new incentives to build new renewable generation, okay? Um, But as far as the mix of renewables and fossil generation, in some states, South Australia, and particular times of the day, definitely wind energy uh, and solar have been in the majority. Because the thing is that solar and wind, in many ways, are cutting the lunch of the fossil fuel generators because they can supply the electricity cheaper than the fossil guys can. And they bid in the lowest price into this competitive auction market that we have. And so in other words, that's also part of the context that we need to understand that there's competition in an economic sense coming in from the new generation. And, you know, the incumbent interest in the electricity business don't really like it. So they want to shape the regulatory and policy environment to produce a framework which will protect their economic interests. And does this policy favour the incumbent electricity providers? Well, I would say, I mean, in Bruce Mountain, who's an energy analyst in Victoria, he said, look, there's an uncanny resemblance between the national energy guarantee and the guarantee that was proposed in the United States 
under Trump to guarantee a role for the coal generators in the nuclear industry. So yes, there's the political spin, which is going around that the NEG will reduce prices, the NEG will increase reliability and do all of these great things and reduce emissions. But the reality is it's really about providing a guaranteed purchase of so-called reliable electricity. And this is coming through the so the reliability standard, which is one of the two main uh, legs of the, the NEG. Okay, so there's a reliability standard. And they're gonna say to the, to the uh, retailers, you must have contracts for a certain quantity of reliable, in inverted commas, electricity. Now this is overlooking the fact that, you know, some of the fossil generators have had multiple failures in each given year of their generation units suddenly tripping and going offline. So the claim that the fossil generation is ultra reliable is actually open to scrutiny. Can I go back to your point where you were asking about integration of climate and energy policy? Okay. So I think this is a, you know, it's actually a good objective. All right. It's really the question is about how we go about this. And maybe, um, you know, when you have a problem you, and then you say we're going to solve it within certain predefined parameters, that's when you have um, perhaps some difficulty arising, particularly in saying um, that this reliability standard is a proxy for really effectively saying we're going to have a guaranteed role for coal and gas in this new generation mix. So what will the future be for renewables in Australia? The Commonwealth wants to, in many ways, exclude the operation of state-based legislation, which is setting much more ambitious targets for renewable energy. So, for example, ACT already has legislated 100% electricity, renewable electricity in the ACT. In any way, I throw into the mix Queensland and Victoria, which also have an ambitious renewable energy target. But, but then you have the possibility that this is going to upset, I suppose, the federal policy trajectory of wanting to confine and reduce the role of renewable energy. So, so one thing I wanted to talk about is this study that we've done in terms of let's just look at Australia from an international context. And it, what we did was to say, okay, so what's the NEG really doing? Well, it's basically going to can uh, put a limit on our renewable energy target. And so in our article, what we did is, is do a survey of all the countries in the OECD and also member countries of the IEA, International Energy Agency. So there's about 34 countries who are in the OECD. So what we said, okay, well, where's Australia placed as far as its ambition on renewable energy? And what we found was there are only five countries with either the same or less ambition than Australia. Two of those countries have no national target, but they have a host of uh, quite strong um, sub-national targets. So that's Canada and United States. Okay, But then the other countries, um, we've got Hungary, Israel, and the Czech Republic. But apart from that, we're at the back of the pack as far as ambition on renewable energy goes. And what that means is um, essentially we're not sending a policy signal to industry um, hey, come and invest in Australia because we want this to happen. We want to modernise our grid. We want to modernise our generation mix. We want folks with new technology to come here and invest. Okay. Instead, we're actually saying, although we're saying we want to have in the NEG, and the, the NEG documents do say this, they say we want to have a more um, 
we want to create policy certainty, that's a good thing. But the problem is that this whole current political debate about the NEG is not generating that policy certainty. So until we, I think really the problem is until we really overcome our kind of climate change denialism and overcome this question about do we need to decarbonize the electricity mix, we're never really nationally going to move forwards in Australia as far as having a kind of a rational debate about how do we move forward. Whereas in other countries, it's far more accepted um, that we do need to act on climate change. Now, so it, it was kind of interesting to hear um, Craig Kelly on, on Breakfast TV this morning. He was saying, um, well, look, if Australia acts on climate change, it's not going to make any difference anyway. And so the, the problem with that argument, there's a couple of problems with it. From, from my perspective. Um, one is that we have some international commitments in terms of international law. We have made these commitments um, under the Paris Agreement and the Kyoto Protocol and the Framework Convention on Climate Change. But also it's, you know, even if you were to look at this from a very selfish, naked kind of self-interest point of view, it's a massive economic opportunity. So, so if you can make a lot of money from have developing expertise in energy technology and then to export this right throughout Asia, well, why wouldn't you do it? So he's kind of saying, oh, there's no advantage at all to Australia in going further with renewable energy. And, you know, I beg to differ. So you see there being like a, a significant export potential for renewable energy in Australia. I know that there's a lot of discussion about potential for solar energy export. Um, and you don't think that Australia is tapping into that resource or that potential right now? Um, well, so so some sectors of industry are already moving ahead. Like, and this is the thing that's going on at the moment, really. Like, industry are far more ahead of the game. The government they're already getting their lines of finance together to set up these projects, and they're taking a long term view about where are we going in twenty years. So they know that in Korea, and Japan, Taiwan, there's a big demand for hydrogen. Okay, they're starting to get on board with the whole idea of we're going to have a hydrogen based economy. Um, and the point about hydrogen is that it's an it's an energy we call it technically an energy vector. It's a means of carrying energy and storing energy other than just say batteries. But this whole question of storage in in terms of uh, you know the, what's going to be the role of storage in the energy future is a really key question, which again needs to get more attention in Australia. So I mean the Japanese have a national political um, commitment from from their prime minister that Japan is to become a hydrogen society. So there is actually an opportunity here to, to you know, look ahead and see, okay, how can we invest in this, this uh, future export opportunity? So at the ANU, um, in terms of the Energy Change Institute, we've done a number of research projects into hydrogen and what's the role of hydrogen as far as um, it's part of the energy future. So one aspect of this relates to the export of hydrogen, and the other aspect relates to what's the role of hydrogen as far as the domestic electricity situation. Because one other aspect that we, we haven't looked at um, much is how can we decarbonize the gas network? Because we've got this massive multi-billion dollar gas infrastructure, and maybe if we're going to decarbonize our whole energy system, how can we actually use that existing infrastructure to pipe some kind of variation of hydrogen, or also how can we pipe biogas? So biomethane, so green gas and, and hydrogen are part of the energy future. And again, something that, that policymakers need to get their head around. 
Um, so we've done some research in terms of the, some of the policy impediments to this. And really, like say for a high example, hydrogen, it's not mentioned in energy legislation. Um, so it's kind of very difficult for for it to be kind of incorporated at the moment and for investment to flow into it. So that, that question of legislative certainty and policy clarity is really important for investment to go ahead. The NEG was discussed in a COAG meeting on Friday and it will be discussed further in Parliament this week. Is there any chance that the policy will survive the political gauntlet that's ahead of it? I think the main thing is that you have one group of politicians who are opposing any form of carbon pricing or, say, increased ambition on climate change and have difficulty with the NEG because they think perhaps it's going to... I don't know. Um, it doesn't provide enough of a guarantee for the coal industry. They want government to just go right out and either invest and build a coal-fired power station or to provide a kind of guaranteed um, power purchase agreement with a new coal-fired power station, regardless of the economics of, is this going to be the cheapest form of electricity? Because for a long time, when we made this competitive national electricity market, the policy principle was that we have an auction and whoever can supply the electricity the cheapest gets the gig. And instead, we want to have some politicians who want to move away from that and say, oh, no, 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 we want to have a guaranteed role for coal. And so therefore, um, government should just underwrite the building of a coal-fired power station, supposedly for reliability reasons. But really, you know, the power system operator hasn't been calling for this. So, you know, it's, it's crossing the line a little bit in terms of breaking down a number of long-held understandings about how things are done. And I suppose the other thing is that from a climate change perspective, if all of that goes, that building goes ahead, it's going to magnify the problem. So, you know, the other thing that I wanted to say is from, from speaking to uh, a lawyer who uh, now works for one of the big uh, Spanish international uh, solar companies that's operating in India – and I met him at an environmental law conference. We had a great long conversation about what's actually happening in India as far as the energy transformation. And his interesting story was, well, Adani, the company that wants to come to Australia and get guaranteed money from government to build a coal export facility, um, a massive coal mine, they're actually not investing any more in coal-fired generation in India. They're putting their money into solar parks. So, I mean, the technology is actually there to use renewables to produce consistent 24-7 electricity. So it's really about how can we um, create some incentives and a legal and policy framework to incentivize storage of energy coupled with just production of energy. Um, so there's some of those, I suppose, aspects of debate which haven't been given so much attention. Like I was saying, number one, how do we, how do we make the grid more friendly to renewables? to encourage more renewables to be put in, and how do we encourage more storage? So these are perhaps some of the policy questions that should be getting a bit more attention rather than how can we throw a lifeline to the coal industry. Uh, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. Thanks for coming in today, James. It will definitely be interesting to see how Australia tackles energy and climate policy going forward. Let's hope we see some progress this week in Parliament. We'll be back on Friday with our regular policy forum pod. And if you have any feedback or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter at Apps Policy Forum, Facebook, the Asia Pacific Policy Society, or get in touch over email, podcast at policyforum.net. Thank you for listening. Uh-huh.